0: Buckeye Talk It's your NFL Combine preview. Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird, we're both going to be in Indianapolis this week for the Combine. Uh, receivers talk on Wednesday, and guys don't work out the same days, days they talk, so we're worried about when they talk because we like to talk to them. So that's Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson on Wednesday, and, uh, and then the rest of the guys, the rest of the week. One of the things, Nathan, that's pretty weird, and we knew this, I mean the Combine announcements were a long ago, but And I guess you know this. Do you know where Ohio State ranks among college teams in Combine invites? They have seven. So seven players invited to Combine among college teams. That ranks what? Do you know that fact? Or would you want to – if you don't know it, that's better because then you can guess. I actually don't – I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I I
1: think that when I made our original post, I might have included that. I don't remember.
0: Do you want to guess? Then good. Then guess. I like it when we don't know things on this podcast and we can just guess. and We can surprise ourselves.
1: It just seems like a down number this year. Um, fourth?
0: 11th. Oh, wow. So listen to this. Ohio State 7. Georgia 1st, 14. They won the national title. Alabama and Oklahoma tied for second with 11. So that's national championship game participant Alabama. Then LSU and Texas A&M. Nine each, then five teams with eight, including Michigan and Cincinnati, playoff participants, and Penn State, and Ole Miss, who was pretty good this year, and Arizona State, which was like a fuddling to me, but I guess like they did all that cheating and stuff, so maybe they got a bunch of guys from cheating, and then all their coaches got fired, but they sent eight guys to the combine. So seven for Ohio State, tied for eleventh for among teams. And it's the fewest number of combine participants since 2015 for Ohio State. So last year, they had 14. They had twice as many guys at the combine as they do this year. So 2022-7, 2021-14, 2020-11, 2019-10, 2018-11, 2017-8, 2016-14 which was the year they set a record with 10 guys drafted in the first three rounds. Let us pause for a moment, Nathan, and remark on the remarkable idea that Ohio state won the national championship in 2014 and then sent four guys to the combine that next year because everybody was back. That's how remarkable that 2014 team was Devin Smith, Jeff Hireman, Michael Bennett, Duran Grant. The only guys who went to the combine in 2015 after the Buckeyes won the national title, and then they sent 14 the next year because that's when they sent everybody who helped them win it: Ezekiel Elliott, Joey Bosa, Darren Lee, Von Bell, and everybody else. Crazy, Michael Thomas. So this is some indication, Nathan, of is the thing we talked about, like with the SP Plus ranking that has Ohio State with so many guys back. Their production returning is so huge that they were a pretty darn good football team this past season when they only have seven guys going to the NFL combine bodes well for 2022. This is not like an indictment of Ohio state, although we can talk a little bit about why there aren't more guys there, but it's mostly a, a, another example that shows how young they were this past season. Yeah. I wrote a little piece about this.
1: uh, I think last week, sometime Uh, just Ohio state gets in these cycles, to sometimes and uh, you know they'll have these long stretches where it's double digit years and then you get this little blip like this and the last time we saw this as you're saying was after 2014 where they're about to have a stretch you know of not having a first or second round defensive player depending on what happens this year I think it'll be back-to-back years no first or second round def- although Werner went last year right Werner was a second round pick yes Werner
0: was a second round pick last year
1: so last year was the first year without a first round pick since the 2015 draft on defense. Or Actually, no, it wasn't just on defense. It was any defense or any offensive position other than quarterback in the first 20 picks of the draft. So they haven't had that like top end. T- anyway, digressing, but all I'm getting to the point is this is starting to look to me. This is further evidence that they're in one of these cycles that actually might be very fortuitous for them. That when you have a year where just because you have when you have less players going in a given draft or less players going to a given combine, the talent level throughout the program doesn't really drop off. So that means you do have this big wave that's coming. The last time we saw it 2014 and and we saw how that worked out, it should have worked out better for the 2015 season. But you see a similar thing maybe coming on the horizon here that this is a a this is how you get ahead of yourself is when your best players are actually only like second year players, maybe third year players. You 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 shouldn't be relying exclusively on seniors and guys who are like, you know, fourth year juniors and stuff to really carry this load.
0: So one of the things is the 2019 recruiting class and I do we're, this is our combine preview. Did I say that? We're going to preview the seven guys who are going to be at the combine for Ohio State what they're trying to show the NFL this week. So we're going to run through those seven guys, but we're just giving the context here. Again, it's half as many guys as last year for Ohio State. The 2019 recruiting class for Ohio State, third-year players, that was their transition class between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day. That was a class where we only had four top 100 guys. Zach Harrison, still in school. He would have been there. So that's one guy not the Combine. Harry Miller, hurt. If he hadn't been hurt, maybe he'd be at the Combine. Garrett Wilson, he's at the Combine. And then Jamison Williams, he's at the Combine too. He's just not there as an Ohio State Buckeye. So that's – that's so a little bit it's like that 2019 class. There aren't as many third-year guys there. But let's run through this 2018 recruiting class, which is probably worth a look as a part of the season preview for 2022. It'll wind up being like a disappointing recruiting class, I think, when we look back in Ohio State history, that it came in on the heels of the 2017 recruiting class, which was the number two class in the country, 2018 also number two class in the country. Let's run through those guys and where they are right now in their careers. Nicholas petit Frere at the Combine. Teron Vincent has battled injuries, staying at Ohio State for a fifth season. Tyreek Johnson transferred. Jalen Gill transferred. Tyreek Smith at the Combine, that's two. Jeremy Rucker at the Combine, that's three. Taraji Mitchell, still at Ohio State, not the career that you expected. Tommy Togiai went early. Probably should be at the combine, except he's already in the NFL. He went last year. That was great. Good for him. He probably could have used another year of seasoning, but he's fine. He's going to play for the Browns more in year two. Matthew Jones, still at Ohio State. Josh Proctor might be at the combine right now if he hadn't gotten hurt, but he's still at Ohio State. Cameron Babb has never been able to play because he's battled injuries his whole career. Brian Snead, transferred. Tyler Friday hurt last year. Maybe he'd be at the combine. If Jay Sean Cornell can draft drafted, maybe Tyler Friday can get drafted. He's still at Ohio state. Cause he got hurt. Max Ray transfer blue Smith transfer Dallas Cant transfer Antoine Jackson still at Ohio state. Right. Or didn't get a combine invite. No, Does he's not get a combine invite. All right like there are guys who get combined. There's like 324 combine invites. Not all those guys get drafted. And there are guys who do get drafted who didn't have combine invites. So um, Antoine Jackson is like a candidate for like a seventh round pick, defensive line guy. Kayvon Pope, transfer. Javante Jean-Baptiste, still at Ohio State. Seven banks, transferred, is going to play one more year somewhere else. Like you would have thought for sure a year ago, you would have thought for sure seven banks would be at the combine right now. Master Teague, didn't get a combine invite. Cam Brown, still at Ohio State. Matthew Baldwin transfer, Chris Olave at the combine. Alex Williams transfer. Marcus Hooker. Not, not going to be playing football anymore. So you can see Nathan in there. Seven is low. One guy went early. A couple guys that you would have thought a year ago would be here for sure, aren't. So there's some reason. It's not like it's not a like a huge talent balloon burst for Ohio state, but there were just like multiple dudes where kind of some weird stuff happened during the course of their Ohio state careers. And the result is seven guys at this combine for the Buckeyes, like Tyreek Johnson, Jalen Gill, you know, Taraja Mitchell, yeah, yeah, Matthew Jones, that, yeah. Josh Proctor, Cam Babb. I mean, there's just like, you can go guy by guy and it just like got a little sideways, got a little sideways, got a little sideways, whether it's transfer injury, whatever. And the result is where this is where we are.
1: It's so weird to have back to back a class that ranks number two, a class that ranks number two and a class that fulfilled its expectations for the most part in 2017. Right. And I mean, that's uh, just a, a class that was kind of loaded with, with important oh, yeah. guys. Yeah. And, and then 2018, just being such a dud. And it's, I don't know. I, it, we have this, this back and forth debate so often about like, how much stock are you putting in recruiting rankings? How much should your expectations be based just on recruiting rankings? Because it's the 2017 side argues for, well, if if they have enough guys that are ranked at this level, that should tell you they're going to be okay. And 2018 would say, ah, eh, it can get sideways in mass sometimes too. And it, it showed up on the field the last two years, especially as it related to defensive play.
0: I do think in I do think the 2017 class like slowed the development of the 2018 class to some degree, because a lot of those guys sort of wound up playing behind those guys. And listen, a lot of those two, seven, 2017 guys went after three years. So they were here and gone. But um, and then there was just some coaching transition. There was a lot of weird stuff that this this 2018 class. Was the victim in a lot of ways, of like a various different things. It was like of Kerry Combs leaving the first time of Kerry Combs coming back as a coordinator of the day Meyer transition. It didn't affect their recruitment, but affected their entire development. Their whole career was affected by it. The COVID stuff, right? I mean, this is this 18 class had about as weird a ride of it as any recent class in Ohio state history. Cause a lot of times i mean, been, you know, you come to Ohio state, it's they've had some weird blips, but it can be a stable place, right? 10 years of trestle. I mean, it, you know, got a little hairy at the end, but there were classes that came in under trestle that just like did their thing for four years and then left and they were all good. You know, Urban was here for seven years. There were people that, you know, the 2013 class under Urban, man, they got here, they did their thing, they left, they were all good. You know, like that, a lot of guys that could be very smooth. It just wasn't very smooth for the 18ers.
1: And I think what's maybe the weirdest thing about it is like you named several transfers there. That, it's a little bit high I guess maybe on the rate I don't know we'd have to actually go back and look numbers wise compare it but a lot of transfers in there and you got guys like Brian Sneed that there's more to it than just football but it's the misses it's the guys that and I don't count it's when you look at like someone like Zach Harrison you mentioned before with the 2019 class I don't think there's any way to qualify him as like any kind of a recruiting miss even if he doesn't live up to that lofty oh, right. rating because he got on sure. he played for you for all four years He was a productive player like that's not any kind of a miss it's a miss when a guy really that of any ranking but especially when they're top 100 top 150 top 50 guys who are just not even playing for you could not get on the field and when they do get on the field it's kind of unremarkable and they get passed over by very young guys late in their career and that's happened now several guys that you you mentioned off. It's like, it, that was what is maybe the, the, the starkest contrast to me, that in 2017, they nailed so many evaluations. And in 2018, you would think a lot of the same assistant coaches whiffed on so many evaluations. And it's But funny, probably not at the same
0: positions. There, there are 26 guys in that 2018 class. Eight of them are going to be on the roster this year, in year five, which again is not necessarily what you expect. I mean, Ohio State doesn't... Recruit a ton of guys expecting a fifth year, I don't think. Sometimes offensive linemen, but nobody thought Teron Vincent would be here for five years. He came in as the number 20 player in the country. You would have guessed three instead of five, and he's going to be here for a fifth year. Traj Mitchell's going to be here for a fifth year. Josh Proctor, because of injury, is going to be here for a fifth year. You know, that's that's the kind of thing, too, that some of these guys are going to be at the combine next year because they're sticking around maybe a year longer than anybody expected. Okay. That's the baseline. They do have seven guys that are going. We're going to cover them this week. We're going to talk to them. We're going to watch their workouts. We're going to write about them. We're going to be doing daily podcasts here on Buckeye Talk. This is the Tuesday morning pod. The pods, the rest of the week will be in the afternoon because we'll be doing interviews with players in the morning, and then we'll come pod as soon as we can after we write, after we do what everything else we have to do. We'll come pod on what happened that day. So the Wednesday pod will be up late afternoon, Wednesday, early evening, Wednesday, talking about what Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave had to say, what Jeremy Ruckert had to say. All those three of those guys go Wednesday. So we're going to bring you this hot and fresh, but you're just going to have to wait a little bit longer. And of course, we know you guys went back and listened to the Monday pod. that Steve and I did. Rapid fire questions about basketball. All right. Quick break. What do these guys want to do with the combine next on Buckeye Talk? Doug and Nathan. 614 350 3315 for anybody who wants to be a tech subscriber this week. If you're not a tech subscriber right now, why don't you sign up? So you type into your phone, you just send a text to 614 350 3315. What will come back to you is a link to sign up to be a Buckeye Talk tech subscriber. It's free for two weeks. So you could sign up for these two weeks and you would get combine coverage, like as the words are coming out of their mouths at the combine. Oh, Chris Olave just said this. Nathan's fast little thumbs. Boop, 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 boop. Oh, my gosh. Jeremy Ruckert didn't ding, ding, dunk, dunk, dunk. That'll be coming to you. Plus, over these two weeks, you'd get the end of the basketball regular season and the Big Ten tournament, which means Steven's going to be texting basketball on that. Boop, 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 boop. And then you can quit. doesn't cost you anything. It's like literally nothing. So do it. Combine and end of the basketball season, kind of interesting basketball season. Then if you want to stay through the NCAA basketball tournament or getting ready for spring football, then that's your decision. Three ninety-nine dollars a month. So if you never tried it, good time to try it. I know sometimes, ah, it's the offseason. There's some stuff happening right now. So this would be a good time to try it. All right. What these guys are hoping to do here, Nathan, is start with Garrett Wilson. And what I said Garrett Wilson is trying to do at the NFL Combine is lock down the idea that he is the best receiver in this draft class. He is, according to uh, Daniel Jeremiah's top 50 player rankings that he just redid on Monday going into, the, into this combine, he's the number six overall player, the number one receiver for Daniel Jeremiah, the NFL Network, really good at this. PFF has their own kind of version of things. They have Garrett Wilson as number 13 overall player. I've been very aware of this because I would like the Cleveland Browns to draft a receiver in the first round. And so the three guys that I sort of zeroed in on, it's not because I'm a genius. It's just because I follow the crowd, has wound up being the three guys that kind of most people have as their top three, which is Garrett Wilson, Drake London of USC, and Traylon Burks of Arkansas. Burks and London are both bigger. Wilson's a little smaller, but plays bigger than his size. Big catch radius, great on balls in the air. And then, like, some other receivers who are a little more of a deep threat, who are a little smaller, I sort of have in that next tier. But for Garrett Wilson, I do think he has a chance, Nathan, to sort of end the debate. He can't make himself grow. Drake London's 6'5". Garrett Wilson can't go to the combine and grow five inches. But he's professor football. And I think, Nathan, it is possible that the NFL insiders who are talking to all the teams, interviewing guys, I think it's possible we get some stories this week of people saying Garrett Wilson talks football at an extremely high level in a way that a lot of receivers don't talk it. And then I do think some of the agility drills, maybe some of the explosion drills with the jumps and that kind of thing, I think he could do really well. I don't know that he's going to burn it up in the 40. I don't know. I think Olave might be faster. I actually don't have a great handle on Garrett Wilson's speed, but I think explosion, quickness, change of direction, three-cone drill, that kind of thing – I think he could test very well there. I think he could interview very well. And I think he could come out of this as like, hey, remember how maybe some people thought Drake London? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I actually think he come out, could come out of this in a way that makes it impossible for him to be a Cleveland Brown. Because we might get out of the combine and be like, hey, remember when people thought Garrett Wilson might fall to 13? Ha, ha, ha. What do you think Garrett might do this week?
1: I think that's a really good way of putting it. That that you're in the mix to be the one who is the first off the board, the first receiver off the board. In in a, in a way, he has to sort of maybe separate himself from Chris Olave a little bit. And I don't mean that in a way where there's like any kind of rivalry there, or that there that one necessarily affects the other on on draft day. But in the minds of the evaluators, do you go in? You know, people who broke down Ohio State film because. There's a yin and yang there, right? We've talked about that many times, that when when both are on the field, it helps both of them do things on the field. So what do you do through workouts, through interviews, through film stuff that they go through? Like, what do you do to separate yourself in the minds of those evaluators as to how much you can stand on your own if you're Garrett Wilson? I think that's an important thing for him this week. I think you're right, though. I mean, I've seen... Every mock I look at and and, you know, I think we used to like kind of, you know, chart the mock draft, but they're just so all over the place for a lot of players, even guys who are maybe sometimes going in the first round. You'll see them like targeted to like five, six teams by the end of it from 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 the major you know reputable mock drafts as as, as much as there can be those. And everybody it seems to be picking him to go to the Browns right now.
0: So there are um, – you'll find some people having him in the top ten to one of the New York teams, nine or ten. There's a couple people that you find who do like London better, who do like Burks better. I saw a mock last week that had uh, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, who's like people comparing to like Debo Samuel. He's almost built like a running back. He's really big and thick. Um, just a different body type than Garrett. Had Trey Burks go into the Browns at 13 as the first receiver off the board, that everybody was still there. Let me read you what Daniel Jeremiah has written. I just think Daniel Jeremiah is really good. Daniel Jeremiah, this is what he wrote about Garrett Wilson, ranking him six among his overall prospects. And it's one of these things, Nathan, where it's like, uh, I do think in the end, what the national guys say about the guys we cover should match what we think of them. So it's one of those things that's like, sometimes I'm like, of course, national guy, this is exactly who Garrett Wilson is. But it's like, it's okay. He's covering the whole league and he's, we don't cover the whole league. We just cover Garrett Wilson. Here we go. Wilson is a highly competitive wideout with route polish and excellent run-after catchability. He doesn't have elite speed, but gets to his top speed very quickly in the route. He is very crisp at the top of routes, creating a lot of separation. We saw that for sure. The Ohio State product makes several plays above the rim and really plays much bigger than his size, one eighty-eight. He does have a few concentration drops, but I believe that is correctable. Wilson is at his best after the catch as he can make defenders miss, power through tackles, or use a stiff arm. I love his competitive nature. Overall, Wilson has a complete skill set and reminds me of Stefan Diggs. I think he's better than Stefan Diggs. And like Stefan Diggs is awesome. I just think of Garrett as like a little more physical. I just really like Garrett in the air on balls. And I really do think he's a really great route runner. And... I think he's so smart. Like, I think there's like a Cooper cup comparison with him that I just, I could see Garrett like getting with a quarterback and the team being like, yeah, well we have like, we have our offense that we run all 11 of us sometimes. And every now and then we have an offense where nine guys run the play and the quarterback and Garrett just decide they're going to do something different. And we do that. Like, I just think he is a guy you can build around. I think he's a guy you want in the locker room. I think he he is all those things that he is explosive. He's athletically explosive, explosive, but he's tremendously polished as well. And like I think Michael Thomas came out as like really polished. I just thought Michael Thomas was a professional in college. Not a diva, but a pro, pro, pro. And I think Garrett is like that as a pro, but I think Garrett's more explosive athletically than Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas wasn't a speed burner either. So I think like I think Garrett has like a lot of the skills of like you take some of Michael Thomas and some of Perry McLaurin and, and they but it's all number 1 receiver traits. And I and I just think people are going to like him when they talk to him. And I don't know that everybody likes all the receivers they talk to. Cuz sometimes receivers can be jackholes. <laughs> Like, which is fine. And, like, that's not even bad. It's like, I want a Jack. Like, I want a confident, swaggery receiver on my team, too. But I just think Garrett, Garrett almost to me, and now I'm starting to sound like Steven, but just remember that I like him, too. Steven's not the only guy I guess like Garrett Wilson. I must think Garrett Wilson, like, has a personality like a franchise quarterback. That That, like, if you said, like, oh, like that guy, oh, well, this, well, we want him in front of the media. We want him in front of the fans. We want him... Talking to the coaches about stuff. We want him. Oh, he has something with the owner. Oh, the like. I just think like Garrett's that dude. That Garrett is that dude in every way. And I just think we have a chance to have. I'm excited for the league to get their hands on Garrett Wilson and get to know him a little bit. And I'm curious to see sort of what the reaction is going to be. I I I probably. I mean, I'm I'm basically making him sound like the best receiver prospect like in ten years. And, and I don't mean to do that because I don't know enough to do that. But I think he's complete. Like, wh- if he was two inches taller, he might be the third pick. But man, I just think he is everything you want, which is why I keep trying to get him to Cleveland. And I'm starting to come around on the idea of that just might be a pipe dream, unless the Browns jump for him. Because if you're somebody that said uh, Jalen Waddle and Jamar Chase, like, no offense to Jalen Waddle, I'll take Garrett Wilson over Jalen Waddle. And Jalen Waddle was Miami's leading receiver this year. But he won the top 10 last year. You can tell me Garrett Wilson's getting a 13. I know there's a lot of good edge rushers in this draft, but man, Garrett Wilson is a, is a, is a franchise-defining number one receiver in my mind.
1: Well, it's okay. So for one thing, if he was two inches taller, he would be an even better prospect. Like, I, I well, think, yeah. That,
0: yeah, he, if he was so two inches taller, that. he'd be like, that's what I said. If he was two inches taller, he'd be the third pick in the draft and nobody, would, we wouldn't even have had right. a conversation about the Browns at 13, right? Because like, you have to, he's six feet tall, but he plays bigger than his size. But if he was bigger, he wouldn't have to play bigger than his size.
1: Right. And, and I, I just want to make sure that we say that because I, I agree with you, uh, everything you said, it's just that there's a lot of really good players. And if the two inches does make a difference at some point, uh, but I what I was actually going to say before you brought that up was because when you first mentioned what six foot one eighty-eight, did anybody ever reference that like in any way throughout his Ohio State career? Like that was never a hindrance of him being this just force of nature at times on the field. And I think that's one of the best compliments to his career at Ohio State was that his size was irrelevant. He was just a great – he was just a football player. He just went out there and made a ton of plays, and I think he'll do that at the NFL level too. I do think, though, that sort of positional um, flexibility is important and not getting pigeonholed is even more important at the NFL level. And if he can go in and do the physical things under NFL um, scrutiny this week to help ease any concerns anybody might still have about whether he is – going to be able to do those things on the outside as well as he does them on the interior. That That's another thing that he can accomplish this week. Another thing he can check off. I just don't know how much question there really should be about that at this point after what he did this past season.
0: If you're a team who just wants a bigger receiver, London and Burks are just such different styles than him. If you just stylistically want a bigger guy. But if you the, already have
1: a Garrett Wilson, like if you already have a guy who's like six foot, 188, but you need someone like what's more of like a red zone target has two, three inches on him. I think that's a completely valid way to approach your draft.
0: The And there is something that I mean, there's a lot of number one receivers in the NFL who are kind of bigger, right, who are kind of like a bigger dude. Um, but it's hard to pass on this talent. And I think when you compare Garrett to anybody sort of like his size, you compare it to Garrett to Jahan Dotson, right? Jahan Dotson's 5'11". Uh, like, it's there's not a comparison. Nobody is going to come out of this and think, oh, I actually like Jahan Dotson better than Garrett Wilson. Like, nobody's going to think that. And Jahan Dotson's going to go in the first round. It, Garrett is just, I think Garrett has a rare package of stuff. And I think, um, I'm, I'm excited to see what people what people see about it. Like, for the Browns' sake, I hope, you know, I hope he goes and, like, chews gum during his interview and, like, makes armpit jokes. Or, like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, he tanked. He tanked his interviews to get to the Browns, but I just I think it's probably he's probably too good.
1: You can trade up; they can trade up if they really want him that bad. But I think I think that would probably begin because there are a lot of good receivers in this draft. Probably is the most prudent way to do that.
0: No, the Browns will get it. I mean, the, the Browns will have a guy that they want there at uh, number one, and we will continue to talk about yeah, that on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Let's talk about Chris Olave. Chris Olave, Dar- Daniel Jeremiah has Chris Olave as number twenty-six overall prospect in his top fifty. Has him? I just said. Jahan Dotson won't go ahead of Chris. uh, won't go ahead of Garrett Wilson. It'll be interesting with Olave. That's not the thing that I'm interested about with Olave, but the top uh, five, uh, top six receivers for Daniel Jeremiah, Garrett Wilson, number six, overall player, Drake London, number 13, overall player, Traylon Brooks, Marcus on number 14 player, Jahan Dotson, number 25, Chris Olave, number 26, Jamison Williams, number 27. PFF has Olave as the 19th best overall player. And the thing for me, Nathan is Ken, so Jamison Williams is still recovering from his ACL. He's not going to be doing any stuff. I think like as a deep threat guy, I think it it's a Chris Olave is not as fast as Jamison Williams. And you're going to have to go by what Jamison Williams ran in the past and that kind of thing. But I think, I think there is a bit of a race in the draft between Chris Olave and Jamison Williams, which is just so interesting because Chris Olave beat out Jamison Williams here And then we saw what Jamison Williams did at Alabama. Had a tremendous, tremendous season. I still can't get past that completely. That the idea that, no, Jamison Williams really is better than Chris Olave. Even though when they were on the same team, Chris Olave got the ball five times more and was 20 times more important to the offense. Jamison Williams is actually better than him. And I know that's not the only thing. And college football is not the NFL, and traits matter. And I, I would imagine Jamison Williams would beat Chris Olave in a foot race. But I think Chris Olave can do some things to still say, I'm a better receiver overall than Jamison Williams. And I think that's what Olave is up against here, that I think he's in that second group of receivers. I think Wilson London Burks is the top group. And then I think Olave Dotson Williams is the second group. And I might be wrong on that. Some people think James Williams might be the first figure off the board. But I think it's, I think it's a little bit of Olave versus Williams. I wish, I wish Williams was healthy for his own sake. But I think Olave has some things. I think how he runs will matter a lot. And I think he wants to establish, like, yeah, I'm a fast dude. I have a lot of polish too, incredible polish. But he doesn't want to be, like, significantly slower than Jameis Williams. And so I'm really curious to see what his 40 time is. And I think it's really possible, Nathan, that Chris Olave winds up in like a great situation, if he's like the 23rd pick and he goes to like a winning team that already has one good receiver and now he could be the second good receiver and they have a good quarterback because they just made the playoffs and here we go. Oh my gosh. Chris Olave could be off to the races of a tremendous NFL career as being picked in the 20s. But I'm curious to see if he can make himself maybe like the best deep threat in this draft at this combine.
1: Yeah, actually, I just happened to look at the, the newest pro football focus mock draft has him 21 to the Patriots. Like like an intriguing spot. Like but it's like, oh, so Mac and... Jones
0: needs a number one target. Cool. Right. Their number one their number one receiver this year was Jacoby Myers, who was an undrafted free agent. Like, you want to go be a Patriot, Chris Olave? Would Chris Olave, would Bill Belichick stinking love Chris Olave, do his job super humble and polished game changer Chris Olave? That'd be awesome for him.
1: And you're hitting on what it's going to be. I think I'm always fascinated by decisions at the draft or the decisions that lead into the draft, because I think you're right in so many ways that on paper, James Williams is going to check some boxes that Chris Olave doesn't, or he's at least going to check them with more emphasis. He'll run a faster 40 time. He does things at top end speed that Olave doesn't do whatever, but So how much, if you are really looking for that burner speed deep guy that gets behind defenses, how much do those things trump what I also think is true, which is that Chris lobby is just a better all around receiver. And how much are you pigeonholing yourself on just those traits and not the whole package? Um, And I don't know what's the wrong answer, because I think NFL evaluation is different than college evaluation sometimes. So. I, I think you're right, although I also wonder a little bit like it may not be that he has to prove he's the best deep threat that proving himself as, as an all around guy and maybe not just a deep threat is, is just as critical because you've got to find some way to get on the field as a, as a first
0: year guy. So I'll read Daniel Jeremiah again. He only did a top 50, and he's only in two Ohio State guys in it. So we want to lean on Jeremiah's expertise when we can. Number 26 overall, one spot ahead of Jamison Williams. Jeremiah does note about Jamison Williams, his hands are inconsistent. He lets too many balls get into his body, and that results in drops. That's Jamison Williams, not Chris Olave. Here's his uh, take on Chris Olave. Olave has average height and a lean, wiry frame for the position. He is very smooth. He is a very smooth mover and has terrific speed. Against press coverage, he relies on his foot quickness to win, but he does get caught and rerouted on occasion. He needs to add upper body strength. He is an excellent route runner, fluid in and out of breaks, and creates a lot of separation. Olave is at his best in the vertical passing game. He can find another gear when the ball is in the air, tracking it naturally, and he can finish consistently. He displays burst after the catch, while lacking the strength to pull through tackles, overall Alave needs to get stronger. But he's a home run hitter with outstanding route polish. Again, like I, that's what we would write. Like I don't think he's as explosive. I don't think he's as strong as Garrett. Not going to break as many tackles as Garrett, but smooth man and and the ball in the air. He showed that ball in the air skill as a freshman against Michigan, and he will get open down the field and he will track that ball in the air. And so uh, Devin Smith was a second round pick with that skill. Alave is a better overall receiver. Devin Smith was kind of a one-trick pony as a deep ball threat. Probably still probably the deep best deep ball threat I ever covered here at Ohio State. Second round pick, again, didn't really work out in the NFL. I think he had some injury issues. But Alave, I do think, Nathan, to your point, he's a deep threat who is more, right? Even like Ted Ginn Jr., Ninth pick in the draft many moons ago, really kind of a deep threat or like throw him a quick one and let him go. Not going to do some stuff in the middle of the field that like Olave can do. So he has deep ball speed, but he has like more over, overall all around game too. So re- I'm really curious. I, to me, like Olave, I've seen some people mock Olave to the Browns. That is not as much of a natural fit to me because I, I, I just might be wrong. I just see Olave as a little bit more of a number two. On a good team, pair him with somebody really good. Now, if you tell you the Browns are going to keep Jarvis Landry and then you're going for Jarvis Landry and Chris Olave, that very well could work really well. Put Olave outside, use Jarvis in the slot. I get that. But um, Garrett, to me, is just more of like the guy who can do it all. So Olave at 13 feels a little high to me, but he feels like a great pick for a good team in the 20s but I'll curious, I'm curious to see how fast he runs for sure. I think that's a big thing for him is that, that 40 time that he puts down this week.
1: No, I think the 40 time is big because a year ago at this time when he was coming back to Ohio State, one of the things he himself mentioned was I think he wanted people to not be so emphatically talking about his lack of upper body strength and how slight his frame was, but there's only so much you can do in a year. And really that's his body. I think, I mean, that's, that's his body type a little bit. So if that's what it's going to be like, he's never going to be thick. So he's always going to be a little bit wiry. So you've got to go out there and I think run that number and help yourself there to kind of offset that a little bit. Cause if people think you're both skinny and slow, that is a problem. But I, no, I don't know anybody's going to call him slow, but you know what I'm saying, relative to the rest of those those five, six guys that we're talking about.
0: No, I, I, I think that's right, because even like Paris Campbell is really fast. But again, Paris Campbell was like Paris Campbell's built too. it's just a different kind of body thing. So um, Chris is Chris is just wiry. That's the way it is. And he's going to need to drop a time to open people's eyes. And I but I think he will. I think he so will.
1: So Wilson and Alave both listed by Ohio State at one hundred and eighty eight pounds. Wilson, one inch taller. Do you think they're actually both weigh the same thing? I don't. I think that's probably not true.
0: I think, I think Garrett might measure in 10 pounds heavier than Chris. We'll be curious to see. I think if it's both listed at 188, we might be more like 192 and 182. So I'll be curious to see how that goes. All right, let's do Nicholas petit Frere. For PFF, he's the next highest rated Ohio State guy. I don't know that he for sure will be the third Ohio state guy off the board. When we get down to like our draft predictions, when we get to April, I'll be very curious where we all are and where we're, what we're thinking about Nicholas Petit Frere Jeremy Ruckert and Tyreek Smith. I think those are the three guys in the mix here, but NPF at 88, he's listed as the, for PFF he's the 13th offensive tackle. And so I think Nathan, he at this point, it's like, could Can he do something? And I think his chances to blow the doors off some of the athletic testing. Because I do think his whole big thing was, we all know he was skinny. I think he was really athletic, but he had to bulk up at Ohio State. We all told that story a couple years ago. I'm just curious, could he really have good numbers in some of the agility drills and some of the explosion drills to really open people's eyes? He's at 88 for PFF. That's a long way from 32 but people love offensive tackles. (sighs) Like, is there something he can do to make himself like the sixth or seventh or eighth best offensive tackle prospect instead of being 13 on PFF sports? And if you're that, then you've got a shot to sneak into the first round. I think he's trying to position himself. Can he sneak into the first round because he's got some really good testing numbers?
1: He's a very intriguing prospect because of how late he really became what he is. And, and we say late because we watched the whole thing. Well, I, I got here one year into it, but you guys watched the whole thing and how it seemed late just based on his recruiting stature and all that stuff. But he really did. like He didn't get the body until his third year. And then once he got the body, then it it all sort of unfolded. And it's been on a very natural climb since then. So I'm, I'm intrigued the same way you are because I, I wonder – the brute strength probably isn't there the way it is going to be with some of these other offensive tackles, but I don't think that's necessarily a drawback if, he, if his footwork, if his awareness, if just his, his sort of like lateral movement and that sort, that sort of like small – a small area speed or quickness or however you want to term it for an offensive lineman – can maybe be the things that separate him from some of these other guys. But I think you're right that I I have seen mocks that have him late in the first round or I had seen them, but I don't think that's really sticking. And I think it's, he's looking much more like a second day guy.
0: Yeah. That's his, I, it feels like a stretch for him to get to that point. There was a really big offensive tackle class, really good offensive tackle class two years ago when six offensive tackles went in the first round, PFF and their grading, they have five offensive tackles among the top 32 players. There are definitely like three guys who are top 10 guys and like Petit is not going to approach that. But then there's, there's some smaller school guys. There's a Central Michigan guy and a Northern Iowa guy who were kind of like the next group of tackles. And it's just one of those things. Let's man, the guy played at Ohio State, two year starters, played on the right side, played on the left left side, was a five-star prospect, you know, has the frame, all that stuff. I think again, like, the Ojabo and Hutchinson film is not going to do him any favors. And I think it's at the moment, not doing him favors with some mock draft stuff, but if he can go test. And again, we had talked to Lucas Petit Frere, the guy sounds like a stinking college professor. That guy's going to go in there and he's going to blow people away when he talks to him. He's an, he's an incredibly smart, uh, humble guy. And so could Could he impress people and all of a sudden the number five tackle is not Trevor Penning of Northern Iowa. It's Nicholas Petit Frere of Ohio state. I don't think that's impossible, but, but he's got a test. He's got a test too. So he probably, uh, my guess right now is he'll, you know, he's a day two guy, but I think there was a time in the middle of the season when people would have thought he was a first round guy and maybe you can get back to that.
1: Well, that is what's interesting about his case because yes, that that Michigan film is not going to do him any, favors as you said but and in the pff grade that he got for that game reflected that but his pff grade before that would have told you he was one of the best i don't remember where he ranked now but it was like both he and jones were among like the best 10 tackles in the country dewan jones the best 10 tackles in the country at that point and then everybody had a bad game against michigan really that whole offensive line i think to some extent had a, a subpar game i think maybe paris johnson was the only one that really graded well that day or even adequately so how much maybe that's something else that can happen this week or is already happening or can happen through the whole draft process is can he convince people that that was just one bad day and that what they saw the rest of the season was legitimate? That the first, you know, it, it says something if your one bad day came against the best competition you saw all year, that has to carry some weight, I think. But if you can go in and prove that there were other, you know, whatever for whatever reason should one bad day weigh down your whole case because if if the bad grade that day was legitimate then that sort of means that the great grades that came before it were also legitimate so which carries more weight
0: yeah i mean i think he's a good player and uh and if he could get in the first round that'd be that'd be a heck of a thing for him all right let's go to jeremy ruckert who is listed by pff as the number 109 overall player and i think the goal for jeremy ruckert is to be the first tight end taken and and i don't think it's impossible because there's not a Kyle Pitts in this draft and there is a little bit of a what are you looking for who do you like but the, you know all it feels like every tight end now is 65 250 right that that's what you've got like that's basically it you look at the top guys Trey McBride from Colorado State is is PFF's top tight end he's the top guy for various people he's 64 260 Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina, 6'4", 240. Ruckert's at 6'5", 250. Kate Otten from Washington, 6'5", 250. Jalen Weidermeyer from Texas A&M, 6'5", 255. Derek Deese from San Jose State, 6'4", 235. Greg Dulcich from UCLA, 6'3", 245. Like, they're all the same, right? I mean, it's not like, oh, I like little tight ends. There's no 6'1", tight ends. And there's no 6'10", tight ends. They're all the same thing. And they're all the same size as George Kittle and Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey and the Kyle Pitts and the guys that everybody wants to find. So then what separates you? Well, like are you twitched up? So that's, that's like explosion stuff, right? That's agility stuff. How do you run? How do you lift? All this stuff is really going to matter for Rucker because I did not throw him the ball this year. So he doesn't have a ton of tape of making great catches, but he showed that he can block. I think some tight end is going to blow somebody away in all these combine drills and become the number one tight end. I actually really think Jalen Weidermeyer of Texas A&M is really interesting, but I think he's less consistent than some other guys. So that's Rutgers' goal. Rutgers' goal is to go to Indy and come out of Indy as the number one tight end. Because right now there is no number one tight end. There's like six guys, and he's definitely one of those six. I don't think any tight end is going to go in the first round but he can be the guy that when teams in the middle of the second round start thinking about a tight end, they start thinking about him. So I don't know. I don't know what he's done at Ohio state, but he seems like a good athlete to me I think he's, I think he's got a chance to put up some good numbers. And again, smart, humble dude. He's going to go in and talk and the teams are going to like him.
1: It's interesting the way we say, well, he didn't, They didn't throw to him a lot, so he doesn't have a lot of great catches on film because he doesn't have a lot of catches, period, on film. But he kind of has some great catches on film. That's what I've always found intriguing about the record case is you can look at, I mean, how many, like at least three catches in his career, I think, right, that are just like, holy crap. And like catches of Ohio state fans will remember into the future. Cause they came in like important games, at huge moments. I mean, one was against Alabama in the national championship game. They don't win whatever, but it was still in the moment, like an impressive feat to go out on the field and, and make a play like that. I, 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 those things I think will help him. I know that he had a little, um, his hands were a little stiffer this year than they had been in the past. I don't know what the deal was with that. He was a little more drop prone or like goof prone this year than he had been. Um, he was also carrying the load in a larger way than he ever had been before. And I, I I agree with you. I think some NFL team is, he might be the one of all these guys. If he doesn't rise, like you're suggesting he could, is, is he the one that like there's the most, like there's almost the most upside relative to his draft placement? Like if he falls to the third round or something like that, somebody could get like crazy value for him.
0: I mean, like the best tight ends in the league. Mark Andrews was a third-round pick. Uh, George Kittle was a fifth-round pick. Dalton Schultz with the Cowboys like a fourth-round pick. Dallas Goddard was like a mid-round People find tight ends. Dawson, Knox, and Buffalo was like a third-round pick. Rounds three through five is where you mine for tight ends and where you hope the 6'5", 250-pound guy you pick – is better than the six, five, 250 hundred fifty pound guy that somebody else picked because there there's a prototype and they're all the same kind of deal. You just look at it this year. Trey McBride, the, the Colorado State guy, who's listed as number one on a lot of tight end boards, ninety one catches, eleven hundred and twenty five yards. Yeah, and so like, how do you compare that to Jeremy Rucker? Now, I just like you go through PFF grades. Rucker's PFF grade was bad this year, fifty nine point four. Yep. Yeah. Trey McBride's PFF grade was 94.7. So again, like he does have to go show people stuff. He's not there on film, right? Because I mean, he's a good blocker. He did drop a couple opportunities this year. They didn't throw him the ball at the end of the year, but you see that he's a good player and you see that he's a good athlete. But I think you need confirmation of that. I think, and actually, I think you need to, It's not even just confirmation because like Trey McBride's confirming, hey, man, I have a thousand yards and 90 catches. I'm just going to confirm what I have. Ruckert has to test in a way that shows that it's like, "Ah, they just just didn't give it to him. It's like like throw, almost keep the one-handed catch, right, from the Big Ten Championship game two years ago. Keep that film. And then a lot of the rest of it, like make sure he can block, he can block, and then just project. Traits, 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 traits. So he's got to show his traits. So he's got to catch everything they throw him in the drills on the field. He has got to catch everything they throw him in the drills on the field, and he has got to catch everything they throw him at senior at, uh, at Ohio State's pro day in a couple months. And then he just has to have enough of the numbers, and I think he will. And I assume, again, I think he, I think he has a shot. Um, I don't think it's a guarantee, but. He also very he could be the fifth 10 tight end off the board in this draft and be the best tight end of the group. And I know when right. we're doing when do we're doing our mock drafts at Cleveland.com, I just happen to like Charlie Kolar from Iowa State, who's actually slightly bigger, 6'6, and caught a bunch of balls for Iowa State because they threw the tight end and because they didn't have Jackson Smith and Jigga, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson. But Dan Lobby for us, Orange and Brown talk post, uh he has rucker in his mock draft for the Browns all the time. Like Rucker, the Browns have a comp pick in the third round. It's like their second, third round pick, Jeremy Rucker. That's Dan Lobby's guy. And uh, I'm not going to say otherwise. I, I'm not. A, I'm not a thousand percent sure about Rucker. As like a, you're the next Mark Andrews. I, I really, I'm. I'm not a thousand percent sure about that. Um, but I do think he's a really good athlete and he's a really good football player. So I just, I do think there might be a couple more guys in this draft with a higher ceiling but he might go and test in a way that surprises even the people who know him the best. So I think the testing is going to matter to him though.
1: I think that scenario, kind of what you're laying out with the Browns might be, there's going to be teams like that, that are sitting back that tight end isn't maybe their most urgent need. They don't have to reach for anybody there. And maybe they're not taking the best guys, but they have a, there's going to be some team that probably has a higher grade on record than where he's going to get taken. And they're going to be pretty happy with it. it's just kind of maybe my prediction for him that maybe it is still a third round situation for him. Um, Look, even late third round, like what you're talking about with, with, with lobby, but that the team that gets him there is going to be pretty excited about what, what that could mean.
0: All right. So those are our top four guys, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Nicholas Petit Frere and Jeremy Ruckert. After this, we will come back for the three other Buckeyes who will be at the NFL combine next on Buckeye Talk. Next up Tyreek Smith on the PFF board he is number 131 I think Tyreek I think Tyreek when he was on the field this year you said this a lot Nathan there were times when he was the best player on Ohio State's defense when he was healthy and when he was on the field and I think he needs to confirm that like his top end on his best plays on film are real I think he needs to just make sure that he shows everybody that he's healthy. And I think if we can be a little twitched up, right? Again, some of the explosion stuff, some of the three-cone stuff, are you going to get off the ball? Are you going to have that twitched up pass rush kind of stuff? Um, I do think he needs to test pretty well, but I think he has a chance to get into the second round because I think the, the, the hesitation on him is he didn't play as many snaps as some guys the last couple of years because of some of the dings and that kind of thing. But I think the athleticism is there. I think the football player is there. And again, we're not trying to kiss anybody's butt here. It seems like a lot of the guys at Ohio State are pretty good stinking dudes. Tyreek Smith is like a legit dude. He is like a real focused, like just like super genuine, passionate guy. Like he is a real guy. I just think you want the Tyreek Smiths of the world in your locker room. So I think he is another guy that will go in there and he will talk to people and they will say, man, this guy's got something to him, but then he's got to, he's got to, he's got to twitch up and he's got to show some of the explosion and that kind of stuff. But the goal for me is to make is try to get to the second round. I think that's what he's trying to test here.
1: He definitely flashed this year, as you're saying, like, just how great, how much of a disruptor he could be on any given play. The difference sometimes maybe we should talk about what flashing means, because sometimes I think we we say it as a compliment, like, oh, that guy flashed. And there's other times you say it like, well, he flashed, but that's almost then just more an enticement. And now it becomes almost a negative. And I think the answer is somewhere in between. Like with Chase, with Chase Young, it was like, did you ever have like a like a remote control or one of the buttons gets stuck? And, like, the channel just keeps – like, you have to go in and, like, pry it out. Like, Chase Young was a re, was a remote where the flash button was stuck. And he just, you just couldn't turn him off. And that's why you're a generational player and you separate. Not everybody can – you can aspire to that, but just not everybody can get there. And some people are never destined to get there from the day they're born. What I think Tyreek Smith has to do is, is close the gap on the flash – And the um, just being that kind of bright light consistently. And some of like you said, some of it was him not getting on the field that much, but then there were other times where during the season where he did seem to kind of fade into the background, um, which again, I don't know how much, how much of that is a criticism when there's other times when he did seem like the best on the field. I, I, it just, it's consistency, I think. And I don't know how much you can do that just through the pre-draft workouts, um, some of that is going to be on film and, and you maybe you can answer to it in interviews or whatever. Um, but some of that, some of these things that we talk about with these guys, like, I think you prove your consistency through your play and that opportunity is passed. So what do you do from a testing standpoint to overcome that is maybe the, the better question for him.
0: He's the 18th ranked edge defender. According to PFF, this is a good edge class. Right. This is this is going to be an edge group. And it's the Big Ten. It's very. And, and Kayvon Thibodeau. It's like everybody that Ohio State fans know. Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, George Karloftis are the top three guys on PFF. And I think the consensus top three edge rushers, Trayvon Walker from Georgia, then David Ajabo, another Michigan guy. Um, there's uh, Drake Jackson from USC. Is there Arnold Ebikidi from Penn State? right. Who showed up for sure in that Ohio state game, gave Ohio state some problems. He's up there, boy, Mafé from Minnesota, from the opener. He's up there. Like Mafé is the kind of guy I don't th- like Tyreek. I don't think contest as well as boy Mafé. I think he, like maffe is kind of like an exceptional, I think athletic kind of dude who had a really good senior bowl. But um, I think Tyreek can be a really good football player. They're like a guy like a guy like Nick Benito um, was a really good player at Oklahoma, but I don't know that he's as complete as a football player. As Tyreek, I think it's hard for Tyreek again. I think Tyreek is like can play the run and the pass. Some of these edge rusher guys are sort of like one trick pony pass rush specialist. I don't think that's what Tyreek is. I think Tyreek is is a is a three down uh, edge rusher. But I think like to compare him to a guy like Majay Sanders from Cincinnati, who's like really important for Cincinnati. I think Tyreek maybe can get ahead of a guy like that, right? So again, there's there's it's a, a edge heavy class, but. If there's a team that you know liked an edge guy in the first round and they missed out on him because he got picked right before him and they decided to take a guard or something and now here they come in round two and it's like ah we still sort of are looking for edges man we really liked a lot about Tyreek Smith. you know could Tyreek Smith again Taekwon Lewis was a late second round pick could Tyreek Smith be that? You know, based on his production at Ohio State, Tyreek Smith or Tyquan Lewis was the Big Ten Defensive Lineman of the Year, right? I mean, like, that's a high bar. I think Tyreek Smith might be, like, as good or better athletically. Like, I think Tyreek Smith's top end is as good or better than Tyquan Lewis's. Taekwon Lewis just laid down a boatload of film at Ohio State, and it's too late for Tyreek to do that. So he's got to show him in another way. In the end, by the time we make our projections before the draft – we might be projecting Tyreek in the third round, but I don't think he's a bad pick um, in the second round. All right. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: I was just, One more thing I wanted to mention with Smith, and we talked about this during the season, but as NFL evaluators scrutinize film on him, they're going to see all of those uncalled holding penalties. And there were a lot of them this year. And I'm actually somebody who kind of rolls their eyes a lot of times when uh, reporters are quick to – point that out but I thought this year it was like blatantly obvious that there were a lot of in that 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 middle period of the year where he had been out for a few weeks and then he comes back and he came back with this resurgence and and just played his butt off for several weeks and for whatever reason refs were uh hold on those flags tight uh, with him i, I you know I, I thought it was a legitimate thing you could say about the way he played this year so will is that something that they will see on film too that will make the flashes he did have look even better that it should have been more he would have had even more of effect on the game if the game had been called a little bit differently
0: so a little bit of news jeremy ruckert um like over the weekend had tweeted can't wait to get back to indy but now there's a report from dane brugler at the athletic nathan that potentially ruckert will not be working out in india is that correct
1: that's what well i've seen the same report that you have with brugler i haven't i just saw it now as we were talking so i haven't had a chance to confirm it but he had dealt with some stuff senior bowl week um did not play in the senior bowl because of something that came up that week so that doesn't come as a huge shock to me doesn't help him though obviously and it probably takes that that first round or i mean that get that, that like being able to be the first round first tight end
0: overall I think be- no i i don't think it it, it means that can't happen because he'll still do his stuff at pro day i mean he has time maybe to get healed up i mean if if he can't work out at all but right. if he can at pro day run bench do all that stuff. That's not a huge ding. I mean, there are guys who don't do combine things and then you make, then your pro day just becomes more important. Um, if Maybe. he, if he has enough of a serious injury that he can't, cause and that'll be in March. Like he's, he, well, it yeah. almost is March. It is March now, It is March. but yeah. he has like, a, he has another couple of weeks to get healed up or then guys have their own separate pro day later. So That's I fair. do, I think he needs to show NFL people something, but he'll have other times to do it if he can't, do, but he'll still go interview and do all that stuff. He just won't. That's what I was about to say.
1: Yeah, it just because he's not working out, I, I imagine he will be there this week taking meetings, setting up those – those. because he'll have individual workouts with other teams, as you said. So, yeah, I just I, – I, I think it makes it tougher. I, I don't. It certainly doesn't – it definitely lessens his chances, I think, of being the number one overall tight end. I will say that. that no, doesn't say it makes it impossible. I think it makes it harder.
0: Okay, so let's go the last two guys who I actually think are like really sort of similar players in a lot of ways, in that they are really good, solid football players who, like, uh, I don't think are the world's greatest athletes, but they sure achieved a heck of a lot at Ohio State, and that's Thayer Munford on the offensive line and Haskell Garrett on the defensive line. By PFF, again, a lot of these guys, they had Tyreek Smith at 131, I think Thayer Munford at 132, Three, I can't tell what I wrote down, and Haskell Garrett at one forty-two, but they're all in the one thirties, one forties. So I don't actually know as much, Nathan, like what Thayer Munford and Haskell Garrett can do, unless they can surprise people with their testing. I bet you they'll be strong or whatever that kind of stuff. I, I just, I don't, I don't have a great handle on how they'll do in some of the drills, um, and I just think they both mo- they both might profile as fourth rounders who play football in the NFL for a while. Like if you told me oh, what's Thayer Munford, like he's a fourth round guard who's going to start for eight years. It's like, okay, that sounds right to me. Cause fourth round guards on the offensive line, they start all the time. Like, and I think Thayer Munford might be ready to start as a rookie. Cause he just played a, a ton of college football. But one thing for Thayer Munford actually is whatever his examinations are when teams examine him, or he shows x-rays or whatever, he's got to reassure people about his back. So that he had a back surgery in college is something I think that would be, if there's an issue there, that will knock him down. And so I think especially for Thayer, he just needs to reassure teams that, yeah, I got this taken care of, I'm good to go. And then I think he can go be a fourth-round starter. Haskell Garrett, uh, I, I think a little more like sort of is what he is. And you think about some of these defensive tackles, the Georgia guys who are just like, Freaks of nature with their size and quickness and that kind of thing. And that's just not what Haskell Garrett is, but he wasn't all American. So that's something they're good football players, but I'm, I'm a little less sh- sure about what combine stuff's going to do for those two. Well, they
1: both have a little bit of health things that they have to prove too, because Garrett ended the season banged up too. Um, I, he didn't play in the Rose bowl. I don't know if it had been a playoff game. I think he probably wouldn't be able to come back and play, but under the circumstances, it made sense for him to, um, to opt out of that, but he, he was definitely banged up at the end of the season and Munford in some ways, I think he he did what he had to do as a player on the field to put those injuries behind him too. Like I, it was a little bit of an issue this year. He did miss some time in game this year. It seemed like they were getting him some time out. and maybe that was just to limit the exposure and, and the, the reps that he had to take at this point. But, you're right. For for both of them, I think health is one of the first things, you know, get in and do the workouts and be able to get through the workouts, look healthy, all of those things. Like, I, I think there's a relatively high floor for these guys, both in that mid range. You know what I mean? Like early third day kind of guys is or what, yeah, third day kind of guys, um, you know, fourth round, whatever you're saying like that. That seem that to me, I think, is a relatively high floor. It would be a surprise to me if either of these guys especially munford i think i don't know that he'll plummet i think he's done enough in his career that offensive linemen are coveted enough that he'll get a a decent shot um garrett's the one that is i think i agree with you that it's a little bit more of a wild card i don't know if you ask what's special about haskell garrett you can name a lot of things and the guy got shot in the face and came back and played like a month later and um you know, had this late career surge into being a very important defensive player and was a leader and, and all of those things, but what's like super special about him on a football field. I don't, I can't answer that as well as I can for just some of these other guys that are in this Ohio state draft class. So is that something he can show this week? Is there some way that, because we've seen this before guys will get to the combine and we think they're pretty good players for Ohio state. And then, and then they'll pop, Big numbers, whether it's in the some of the agility testing or speed testing relative to their position or the strength testing relative to their position. And it can be a, a, a little bit surprising. I remember like um, Malik Harrison a couple of years ago, like we thought he was going to be a pretty good draft prospect, you know, mid round draft prospect. And and he got there and was like among the best linebackers at several numbers that he put up and we're like oh okay then that that kind of solidified his position so the, maybe that's what haskell Garrett can do this week it's just not give anybody a reason to overlook him in that that sort of early third day range
0: so thayer munford according to pff is the number seven prospect among guards and again um I think Thayer Munford was always going to be a guard in the NFL, whether he played tackle his whole life at Ohio State. The idea like, oh, it's good for him to play a guard. They would have figured it out. If you can play tackle, you can play guard. But he did end up playing in his last year at Ohio State, the position he's going to play in the NFL. So he's seventh among guards. Haskell Garrett, 11th among defensive tackles, according to PFF. And of the top 14 defensive tackles, he's the shortest at 6'2". I'll be curious to see where he measures out. He's just not as big as some of these guys. And like, not everybody is Jordan Davis from Georgia, who's 6'6", 340, and is probably more like 6'6", 370. And I get that. You don't have to be that. But I do think if Haskell Garrett is too undersized, that will knock him down a little bit. Because even I think Davon Hamilton, who wound up being a third-round pick, yeah, Hamilton is another ha- example of what I was talking about before, guys that held themselves at the Combine. But I would have, have to look. I mean, D- Davon Hamilton is – what did he measure at at the Combine? And uh, I bet he's bigger than Haskell Garrett. Let's see if that's true. Um, and I just – for defensive tackle, I just think, you know, that's going to matter. And so, um, yeah, I'll be curious to see. I mean, that's that's one of those things, right? Then they, they measure you, they weigh you, and they, and they measure you. Um, that matters. Davon Hamilton is closer to 6'4". And uh, I'll, be sure, I'll be curious if Haskell Garrett's under 6'2". So that might be the biggest thing for him is when he gets up there and they tape measure him. How tall is he? Hamilton was uh, 6'4", 320 at the combine. Okay. So, again, that's more along with what a lot of the guys that Haskell Garrett is going up against. Um, at this combine, that's more of the normal size for defensive tackles. Okay. So, uh, we are going to be there. Nathan's going to be doing all Ohio state stuff. I'm going to be doing some Ohio state stuff and some Brown stuff. We will be having a daily Buckeye talk from the combine. We will have a daily orange and Brown talk from the combine. One about the Buckeyes, one about the Browns. And then as Steven is covering basketball this week, Tuesday night, Nebraska, Thursday, Michigan state, You know, maybe on the Wednesday pod, if something crazy happened with hoops, we'll work in a little Steven guest spot and have him talk about that. Uh, We want to make sure we stay on top of basketball, but there's a lot of football stuff happening. So that's the plan. Uh, Nathan, you're going back home to Indy. You have rented the the place that you lived three years ago now before you moved here. That's no longer on the market, right? You don't go back to that. Apartment. No, we, 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 we sold that condo. Yes. You sold that condo. Yeah. So you're going to stay in a hotel, like a regular person. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But you're still big on the streets of Indy. Are you not like people? is like, Hey, Nathan, welcome back. That kind of thing. When you walk around in Indianapolis, I'm,
1: I'm getting bigger by the day. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if, if I, I, I you know, in uh, maybe if I was there for a Big Ten tournament like Steven's going to be in a couple of weeks. But uh, this is only my second combine I've ever been to, so I don't. I'm not as in the in the Indiana football world. I don't have
0: quite the same uh, impact. The and the other thing is, I, I think as people might know, this could be the last combine in Indy, and it has been this thing where it's like, hey, combine, literally for Cleveland.com. We're sending six people because like all four of our Browns reporters are going, plus Nathan, plus me, because it's down the road. And people think the combine might move to Vegas or L.A. And if it moves to Vegas or L.A., Cleveland.com will not be sending six people. So I have been to very, very, very many combines and the entire Ohio State beat goes to the. it's like sometimes there's a guy up there. It's like, hey, this guy's going to be a third round pick out of Western Carolina. And like, nobody is talking to him. And then like the Ohio state guys that goes up there and it's like Haskell Garrett is going to have 17 people around him, like asking how good he thinks Mike Hall is going to be this year. And it's just like an Ohio state news conference. And it's like, Oh, by the way, Haskell, are you going to get drafted or what? And it's just the way it is because Columbus is three hours from Indianapolis. So it has been this great little bonus for everybody who covers football in Ohio, that you can hop in your car and drive three hours and go write football stories. And um, that might be going away. And it's, it's a little unfortunate. It's weird. Like they used to do it. It really, it's, it's amazing. And I certainly was not on the ground floor, Nathan, when, you know, back in the old days when it was, you know, Peter King and four other reporters at the combine or whatever, but they used to have it like in the hallways of The Hoosier Dome or whatever, the year that Ohio State had the 10 guys drafted in the first three rounds, I mean, you were crammed into little side rooms and all kinds of weird little stuff. And they've really expanded it now that they're in the convention center. But I I can very specifically remember it was like after that 2015 uh, Fiesta Bowl and um, when Taylor Decker had blocked Jalen Smith from Notre Dame and Jalen Smith hurt his knee. And it was kind of like the the poster child for maybe why high draft picks shouldn't play in, quote, meaningless bowl games. And I felt like I was able to ask Taylor Decker like four questions about that. And then I was able to ask like Jalen Smith four questions about that. It was like Taylor Decker was going to be a first round pick. Jalen Smith was like a borderline, might still be a first round pick. This was this huge story of here these guys are. They're tied together over this thing. And they're just like there weren't that many people there. Doing the things like, oh, there's six people at Jalen Smith. I don't cover Notre Dame, but I can have like a conversation with him. I can have a conversation with Taylor Decker, who's going to be the 16th pick in the draft. And like, it's just, it's, and then, then they figured it out. And now there's a gazillion people there. And it's not quite as easy to have a conversation. But
1: no, it's, it's a madhouse. But um, we'll, we'll, we'll be standing by the tables, texting uh, as we go and um, bringing
0: you as many nuggets of information as we can. I might try to pretend that I'm having a one-on-one Garrett Wilson interview that is just on Buckeye Talk. I'll just put my microphone up on the stand and be like, Garrett Wilson, welcome back to the Buckeye Talk. And then you'll hear somebody shout, uh, Garrett, have you talked to the Jets yet? And then you'll know that it's not Buckeye Talk. It's actually just a microphone on a podium at the Combine. But we do our best. All right. We'll talk to you guys from Indianapolis. Make sure you try the text. Again, a great week to try it if you've never tried it before. 614 614- 350-3315 and read our stuff at com slash OSU For Nathan Baird I'm Doug LeMaurice and that was Buckeye Talk